Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. If a conductor doesn't show sound quality in some way, I think that's a problem. But the basic physical style of different conductors doesn't matter at all. And why am I right? Because look at all these conductors who do wonders. They all are different. You may yeah. not like Simon Rattle. You may not like uh, Pablo Yerby, say. But you can't deny that they're effective conductors. Mm-hmm. They look completely different. It's not really how they look as much as what they're conveying and how it's successful it is, or Abado particularly. And you've got, you've got to learn the basics, right? Okay. You've got to be able to keep an, help keep an orchestra together. and help. I'm thinking of something like, you know, you're trying to bring in someone who doesn't know much about classical music, maybe someone very young. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, You know, why start with an era which is so alien (laughs) in every aspect, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Culturally, mores, you know, looks, everything. Why not start with something much nearer home and work backwards? That was kind of what my my thought process was there. Yes. And also something like, I mean, for kids who... Or, or not any kids, but let's say kids who actually are open-minded. And certainly people who think classical music is dusty, weak stuff. <laughs> don't give them Mozart, Einer, Klein, and Achmusik. I've never understood that. Yeah. I understand that it's kind of easy to listen to, but that's not really the point. Give them the rite of spring where, you know. Yeah, it yeah. seems very obvious to me. But <laughs> I guess it's not obvious to board members. Okay. Um, but always something that I've thought. And in fact, I and it may... It may um, I guess it must go with my general feeling. Actually, my favorite music, I get less interested in classical music, I think, as it gets further back. Okay. Personally. So I much prefer Marlott. I mean, take this, please, with a grain of salt. These <laughs> are great masterworks, obviously. Actually, the older I get, the more I appreciate maybe the, the older music. But my gut is much more with, say, Strauss and Marlott than it is with Mozart and Haydn, just off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Mm-hmm. And and so that might be another reason why I feel that people would automatically be drawn to something nearer, yeah. uh, more visceral, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely. That doesn't mean it's better. Than <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, I was I was just looking through some of the programs, and I, I noticed you you have the Leshnov. You have a couple pieces by him on the season. Do you know him? 
Yeah, I, I have you interviewed? Well, probably not for conducting. <laughs> have you have you met with him or interviewed? Him? No, I'd never heard of him. I listened to the Fourth Symphony this morning, and it was it's know, beautiful. No, very, I mean it's very great. So so yeah, I met him um, just after I moved to Fairfax after getting the music directorship here about eight years ago, I suppose it was now. Introduced to me by a mutual, actually an agent who was trying to sell his music to me and we okay. had coffee. And he was very personable. He's a young guy, he's probably your age, maybe a bit older, I don't know. Um, and one of his favorite composers, he said immediately was Shostakovich, which kind of appeals to me because I love Shostakovich, although I like him less than I used to. Oh. Maybe we can get to that later. <laughs> um, uh, and so we kind of hit it off musically and then it was clear that he was a composer really doing very well in this area. Mm-hmm. And, and I listened to uh, one of his pieces, Starburst, which I've actually done a few times. It's an overture. Okay. Kind of tricky to play, but very easy to assimilate immediately for an audience. You know, this is another thing. I know you know all this as a conductor or more really as a music director in the attempt always to bring new music to people's ears, it's, it's best maybe not to give them on, you know, something which is really hard to hear. So his music is actually, I think to a fault, a little bit too, (laughs) so he can't win with me. Having said that beautifully crafted and for our purposes, great to, I think, as I say, sort of uh, give an audience something to hang on to. Mm-hmm. So he's actually, he's not actually going to be a composer in residence because that would be too official a term. We actually don't have the means to bring in a composer in residence. So he's sort of, I don't even think we have a name for it. Uh, we're, we're showing his music over the next three years more okay. than any other composer. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. With yeah, I just noticed that that season had had two pieces on him on two concerts. So I didn't know if there was Exactly. A, the idea we kind there. of had to work this out Um it was only one last season. It was supposed to be two. It didn't work out. It's two next season, um, and then two the following season. Hopefully, with actually a commissioned work. Depending. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the money, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so we have, we have uh, Alex Carr is coming. I don't know if you know him. He's a violinist. He's uh, the concertmaster of Dallas. Okay. And he's a teacher at Bloomington. He was the concertmaster Concertgebouw. Uh, oh wow. The youngest I think they ever had. In fact. Yeah. Um, and he also comes from Fairfax, so that helps us. He's playing his uh, uh, Jonathan's second violin concerto. So mm-hmm. that's the other piece we're doing next season, I think. Yeah. You're testing me because I can't remember. I think yeah, it, was, it was the second, yeah. Something like that. So that's. <laughs> and I don't, I didn't find a recording of that. I found a recording of the first, first concerto, but right, right. And you like his stuff, right? I, I, I listened to the symphony while I was like getting ready this morning. Um, I see. So yeah. that's all I've heard. I'd never, I'd never heard of him or anything. Never even heard him, right? Oh, yeah. So you, as you can see, it is kind of attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really hard thing, you know. Again, not as a guest conductor, obviously, but as a music director, the, you know, the programming is the yeah. most exciting <laughs> bit in a way. Um, you know, I love it, obviously, <laughs> um, but it's also the most frustrating, mm-hmm. uh, mainly. Well, it's bal- it, it's balancing, obviously, the old and new, trying to make sure you don't lose your audience. It's also a, ma- a matter of money. Mm-hmm. With an auction like ours, we have, a, you know, the budget's a little tenuous. We can't go over budget. There's, it's lean. There's not much room for, for um, you know, we have to keep – there's a bottom line. So that actually 
in some ways makes the process of choosing a, a season in a way easier because there's so many parameters. You, have yeah. to, you can't just, the world is not your oyster. But it's also frustrating when you want to do certain things. Like, for instance, the Alpine Symphony by Strauss, which, by the way, is a piece I love. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen because it's going to, it's yeah. just, well, I could do that maybe, and then the rest of the programs would be Ina Klein and Achmusik. Yeah. <laughs> so you've always got that to think about, depending on the level of the orchestra and the mm-hmm. budget, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple programs I saw that I actually was that I that really stuck out to me. I don't remember which again which orchestras they were, but the um, the Beethoven Symphony of Symphonies. Oh, I'll talk to you about it. So, yeah. so I'm such a, a hypocrite, not quite the weak <laughs> word. I'm weak. So. I never thought I'd stoop so low as to <laughs> put something together just for the audience's pleasure on a really kind of superficial level. But yeah, that's, a, I, that's the same concert as the Lechnoff, right? Yeah, so that at least helped. That's, no, I, I sh- I'm not trying to be entirely, I'm not being entirely facetious, but maybe it's good that I finally kind of adapted, <laughs> have to adapt a bit. In the olden days, I was far more rigid and would never, you know, the idea of, of even just playing one movement of a piece mm. on its own without mm. the whole piece was anathema, anathema to me, let alone this symphony simply is going to be different movements from different pieces. I mean, yeah. how much of a prostitute can you be? <laughs> but, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, I've sort of mellowed because I think it's, you know, in, as you probably know, in Beethoven's day, pieces were taken, bits of pieces mm-hmm. were taken and mixed with others. So there's that. I don't have to feel too guilty. Um, and while I do think the greatest works of art, although I'm not sure I have the ear for it, but I do think that, uh, you know, a movement on its own is not this, is not going to be as satisfactory as an entire symphony because of the arc of the piece if it's, if it's really a masterpiece. So you're kind of screwing that up too. Mm-hmm. And this mixture isn't great from a sort of perfectionist point of view, but it could be entertaining. And actually the challenge, so I've, it's interesting bringing this up. So I've been going back and forth still about, which movements of which symphony? The reason I'm yeah, doing this is because it's the 250th anniversary, right? Yeah. And we're doing beta, we're doing the ninth symphony or something, which actually I was not for because we only did it four years ago. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought that was too soon to repeat it, but it was one of the biggest audience draws we've had over the last five years. Mm-hmm. And finally, the board wore me down because <laughs> yeah. it will sell. Yeah. So then do another. I didn't want to do another symphony this season because we've done all of them in the last four or five years so that's why i had this idea of maybe celebrating in a different way mm-hmm. so the question is what to do so i thought it's not terribly <laughs> terribly imaginative but i thought you know okay let's do one movement from one symphony and do four movements of each of a different symphony but then i thought okay let's choose the ones that most people having gone down this route i thought okay so we'll choose the most popular but then so what do you think are the most popular so I thought, I thought, okay, we've got to do the first movement of Beethoven five. Yeah. And then I thought we probably got to do the second movement of Beethoven seven. Seven, yeah. Most yep. people would think that, right? Mm-hmm. Third movement, maybe it's up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And then fourth movement, and I thought, well, obviously we can't. And then I thought, fourth movement, we can't do the ninth because we're doing it. Yeah. That leaves the others. And then the one that just I thought we would be the best to do in terms of audience appeal and Beethovenian electricity is the fourth movement of the seventh. But then I thought well, we were doing the second movement of the seventh. I thought we can't, surely we can't repeat two minutes in one symphony. You know, he's written nine of them. Mm-hmm. But so then I, anyway, so I came up with, you can tell me which to do. Let me see if I, mm. I remember what I've got this here. 
because I, I've, I've got it down to this. <laughs> what you guys think, and I'll blame you in our audience. <laughs> so I think this, okay, it's got to be a different movement from a different symphony, right? That's the plan. Mm -hmm. So the first movement of the third, also keys mm. matter a little, and not to most people, but somehow, you mm. know, have some key relationship which makes some sense. First movement of the third, second movement of the seventh, third and fourth movements of the sixth. Hmm. Okay. And then there's an attacker, if you remember, in the uh, third movement of the sixth, you, you know, is this uh, dance, and the fourth movement is the storm, then it goes into this pastoral last movement, and it's an attacker. Mm -hmm. This flute which goes ba 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 bee bum then bee-dum ba bee. So you could actually have an attacker into the last moon of the fifth. Exactly the right oh, really? key. It could be ba 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 bee ba bum bum. And it's a G7 chord into huh. C major. So it works perfectly. <laughs> I thought smooth. Okay, yeah. we could do that. But okay, so the weakness seems to me is that we're not doing the first move of the fifth, right? Which mm -hmm. you kind of have to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the sixth symphony, in a way, I mean, it's lovely and some people love it, some people don't. It just isn't quite in the top echelon for most listeners, right? Mm -hmm. And the fifth movement, and the last movement of the fifth, I agree, is a great conclusion, very cathartic. Yeah. This may be what you're referring to. I don't know what you think. In all humble, in all humility, for me, it kind of goes on forever. The cadence is at the end. <laughs> yeah. It makes more sense when it's the fifth as a whole. Yeah. Because that's where, you know, in fact, having the whole symphony makes sense. But that movement on its own, the ending, uh, you know. So th those are the, that was mm -hmm. kind of the pros and cons. This is the other one. And I can't think of any others. If you have okay. any ideas, email me and tell me which you prefer of these two. So, and there's no rewriting in what I just said. Okay. Yeah. It's just an attacker. It actually works key-wise. So mm -hmm. that's good. The other one is first movement of the fifth. Yay. Second movement of the third. Okay. The, you know, the, yeah. the funeral march, which is a great movement. Third movement of the sixth. Only the third movement. Attacker into the fourth movement of the seventh. Now, this is a little bit more tortured, but not much. <laughs> so it goes. That chord, the last chord of the yeah. what I just sang before, the bing dagadam, is actually an augmented sixth chord. It actually works. Okay. So the transition doesn't sound too weird. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a little weird. It's a little weirder than that G7 to C major, which is inevitable. Mm -hmm. So it'll sound a little bit strange, but then I'm thinking, having gone down this road, right, having now sold my soul completely to the devil, <laughs> so what if it's a little bit weird? Yeah. It's actually quite exciting. Okay, so those are the two. Yeah. The, the advantage of that one is we start with the first move of the fifth. Yeah. Uh, the disadvantage could be that, nah, could be that, um, you know, what I just said, that the, the, the guy, the attacker is a bit odd. Mm -hmm. And the second movement is now of the third, not of the seventh. Yeah. So do you guys have a choice? You think they're both are horrible. <laughs> and if you do, you have to come up with another one. I, I, I like the first of the fifth, but then I like the second of the seventh so much. And I think it's a trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But the second of the third works key wise really well. 
Actually, actually, that's a good point. In a way, it does. So first movement of the fifth is C, right? Second movement of the third is C minor. C minor is two. It's a lot of C, but you're right. It certainly okay. works. And then actually the third movement of the sixth is F. That's fine. And the fourth movement of the seventh is A. That's fine. C, C, F, A. Yeah. I kind of like, I think the safer one is the first one I mentioned to you. Yeah. Where we go the fourth, third and fourth movement, six going to the finale of the fifth, but I kind of prefer the other one because mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. And I think the last movement of the seventh is, if you take it fast, which would do. Be a, maybe a weird moment, but like a really, really impactful yeah, yeah. moment that they'll remember. Yeah, because it's so bad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I don't know. Anyway, if you have any other ideas, I mean, I've really tried to think of them. The only parameter, as I say, is that I think we really have to have, we can't repeat a symphony. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. And we can't do the ninth. Yes. So that's that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm glad you sort of like that. That's the <laughs> symphonies. Yeah, I liked it. Well, I, I read it and I, I said, is this a piece that I don't know about? So I Googled it and nothing came up. And then I, then oh, I found yeah, it on the website. You. Yeah. And that, that's we it. do do, I must say, if I may say, we do with some success. I mean, I haven't had much pushback. I've managed to, as much as I can, given the relative smallness of the season, program new music and premieres whenever I can. And I'm proud to say I've done over the years, about 35 now, I'd say. So, you know, I think that's really important to do. And actually, the players kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, some of them bristle, but you can't just repeat the same pieces. It's good to challenge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it puts a stamp on, on what makes that orchestra unique. Is that, you know? Yeah, I actually point that out. When I get pushback, I point that out. Yeah. Because the other orchestras of our size here, I think, are less adventurous. I'm pretty sure are. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but there's always pushback. And I try, we tried, and I also another reason for doing it, it may sound a little opportunistic or cynical, but I think it's important, is to get, you know, we can get, we do get reviews, and being in this big area, Washington, D.C. area, there's an opportunity, you know, Fargo, who cares? We get reviewed by the local guy every time, but who cares? But we get, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we get uh, Washington Post reviews by Majet, or we used to get them all the time. Uh, now we get them less and less because, uh, as you probably know, that's the nature of the beast. You know, they don't have editors and they don't have reviewers so much anymore. And they, mm-hmm. it's all become more uh, smaller. Uh, but the only chance we get is actually if we if we place. And Midget told me herself. Yeah. She said, you know, I'm not going to come to you guys doing a Beethoven symphony. Why would I? <laughs> yeah. Your world premiere, I'll come. And then she mm-hmm. hasn't always actually stuck to that, which is annoying. But yeah. <laughs> Philip Glass premiere last year. And she did not review that, which was hmm. annoying. Well, you, you have wasted no, opportunity on her part. I think so. And there's no control. You know, you have no control. And the conductor, I don't, I don't like doing it, but I don't really want to do it. The conductor calling out the reviewer is really not cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. it has to be from someone else, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's yeah, because every every orchestra is doing Beethoven. Every orchestra is doing Brahms. And I keep telling my people this. <laughs> We've done a lot of beta, but it's a 250th anniversary, and I can't fight that. Yeah, yeah. And he does sell seats. Yeah. He does. That's good. And he's written some good music. I don't think his symphonies are his <laughs> best music, seriously, but he's... <laughs> yeah. I actually really don't. 
Um, what do you what do you think is the best? I think his best stuff is is when he went nuts towards the end because I think okay. it you know he didn't go nuts but the the, the, <laughs> the late stuff meaning the quartets and the, the quartets yeah and, and, and the piano sonatas um because I just think there's nothing like them you know mm-hmm. and everyone and the the impact they made yeah. I mean it's still making you know I read a did you read that article in the post probably not I don't know yesterday Jeremy Denk a, a, a very thoughtful yeah, yeah, concert yeah. pianist was recently I think recorded the last three or something like everyone has yeah and he's written i mean he's a very brainy guy but he's written tons of stuff on it and it, it's it opened that music opens so so many avenues to the right artist mm-hmm. forever and ever it seems the problem with the other stuff I, I understand it's great most of it's great music and it will remain so and, and so it should the reason it's not so appealing to me is that i'm so lucky to be able to perform this stuff a lot these great works and after a while, although you learn something new in them, it's a, it's a, they're a different planet from this. And of course, I can't conduct the sonatas in the quartet. <laughs> but the language is so different and is so related, albeit brilliant, to where he came from. Whereas oh, yeah. those pieces, unless I, maybe you could convince me otherwise, I really think they're in a world of their own. Yeah. And I do think the deafness is something to do with it. Not that he couldn't hear what he was writing, but he he didn't have to be accountable to what he was writing in a way, you know? Okay. I think it freed up his already amazing imagination and boldness. Mm -hmm. I think it freed it up another level, you know? Mm -hmm. I I could sort of understand that if you really can't hear the response. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think why, you know? So anyway, I think his late stuff and of the, of the symphonies, I do think the third was an amazing moment. It's true. (laughs) Thing came out of sort of nothing from before, and and I, I I do love the fact that he's a composer who obviously smashed barriers. Although I do love some composers who didn't smash barriers. I don't think yeah. Brahms did really. I don't think Mozart did, and they're also great in their own way. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you find any of that that late Beethoven appeal in the Ninth Symphony? Um. So. The Ninth Symphony. Because that was quite, that was quite oh, late, wasn't it? It's a good question. I, don't know. I, I, the boldness, yes. I guess the breadth mm-hmm. of the music, which yeah. you could say with the third, actually. It is new in that way. The language might, well, I, I just have to say the, f- the last movement is a bit problematic, it seems to me. Although one could, you know, it's pros and cons. You could admire the fact that it's kind of pastiche. Mm-hmm. This is something new, you know? Take your hat off to him. He's really trying something new. On the other hand, it's a bit pastiche, you know? Yeah. Uh, the third movement, you can admire the sheer breadth of the music and the way the phrasing is just endless. I mean, what boldness and originality. Or you could think this is really long-winded. Yeah. The sec- I, I have no problems with the first and second movement, I have to say. I mean, I think the first movement is both powerful, concentrated, incredibly tightly written, you know, uh, yeah, it, I not much wrong with it. <laughs> um, and the second movie probably the same. And on this huge scale, I mean, the huge scale of the piece is very impressive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, it's. But I don't think it's not quite that jump, and it's a bit earlier than the last quartet, as you know. Yeah. Although it's not much earlier, it's not earlier than the Hammerclavier. It's after, and that piece, well, it's a bit similar. It's a huge piece. 
foibles and all to say the least. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you can argue. <laughs> the bottom line comes, I guess, to whether you this music's in your blood or not. Mm-hmm. And you know, when a comp- when you just are in love with a composer for visceral reasons as well as intellectual, you can never let that go. My problem, as I was saying at the beginning of this conversation, in a way, is that the old music, let's say Beethoven, Mozart, Bach who are supposed to be the greatest composer <laughs> are not in my blood the same way. So I've come to admire them and I've come to justify that admiration in ways I'm doing now, mm-hmm. good or bad. Um, I think we're all like that. If we're honest, they have certain, you know, they're composers who speak. I mean, Rachmaninoff is one of my favorite composers and people criticize him all the time. I get the criticisms. It doesn't stop me loving him. Yeah. And actually I don't agree with many of the criticisms, but I get them. <laughs> the Alpine Symphony by Strauss. People say it's kitsch. It's actually not kitsch, but I can see why people roll their eyes at it. Mm-hmm. But I love it, you know. Yeah. And I can justify that love. Actually, I mean, it's not a bad piece. <laughs> but you know, ultimately, it's what you kind of like. And and by the way, as a music director, don't if you, if they're you're, you are you guys music directors of anything? I'm not. No, you're not. I you, I you am are. a music director of a community orchestra. Yeah. Right. So you you have to go through these uh, some of these things i'm talking to you about i'm sure obviously programming and audience development blah blah blah. i was going to say don't um fall into the i don't know if it's a trap but <laughs> be wary of just programming pieces you like i mean i'm not suggesting program pieces you hate <laughs> it's unlikely that you're going to do them justice or that you might do them more justice than you think mm-hmm. i've been told the beethoven i do is amongst my best interpretations always Really? And he's not my favorite composer. It might be because I'm trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People like it. <laughs> uh, no, in, in all seriousness, obviously, as Stravinsky, you know, just be objective. Um, and you can, if the nearer you are, does not translate it into it being a, a better interpretation. But mm-hmm. I was going to say, be wary of composing your favorite pieces, quote unquote. You've obviously got to balance that diet quite seriously. Mm-hmm. And put in stuff which you should put in which you may not love yeah balance with um with like what the what with what the audience needs with what the orchestra needs is so good question so i think yeah there's actually that your choice of verb is interesting needs i wonder what that means yeah um wants needs so and even wants is weird i mean i this sounds very patronizing i don't mean to but sometimes you the audience i don't think they always know what they want Mm-hmm. They think they know what they want. They often want something they've heard before. I get that. Yeah. And really, you've got to give them that else you won't have an audience. I understand it. Why doesn't that apply to films, by the way? Why are people happy to... They don't always go to the same film. They're happy to go to a new film. Why are they not happy to hear a new piece? I, don't know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think about this from time to time. but yeah. It just doesn't work that way with music. You, there's a comfort factor, obviously. So you need to address that uh, need, I guess, <laughs> and that's their wants. Uh, my my th- my theory is very unoriginal. I'm sure every conductor you talk to, well, not everyone, the unimaginative ones probably say this. It's the it's the sandwich theory, right? So you're going to put your Schoenberg in there because you think it's good for them to hear, but you put it between a Mozart overture and a Beethoven symphony. Yeah. Um, and that I actually, I think that theory, the sandwich theory works quite well. You've got to really choose your pieces. Yeah. Um, 
if there's a new piece which you are convinced the audience will love and adore, that's a great feeling. I do that often. It doesn't always work, unfortunately, but I think that's good enough, you know, to give them something new, not out of some intellectual sleight of hand, but because you really think it's a great piece. Yeah. You know, it's a balance of all these things. Then you ask, not just the audience, the orchestra. So depends on the orchestra, obviously, but an orchestra of my side. Actually, I have something particularly good with Fairfax, particularly good. One of the main reasons I took the job is that the Fairfax Symphony, it, on paper, it looks like a a regular small regional orchestra. But actually, if I may say, the level is higher than you might, well, you might expect it to be quite high in DC. But the level is higher than the budget and the amount of performances we do would suggest, because particularly the winds, most of our winds are playing in the military bands in the area, so that they oh. are first class when it comes to technical aspects of of getting around their instrument <laughs> and international that stuff, which is great. So they're really good, but they're not jaded like a two level <laughs> up professional orchestra would be because they haven't played all this stuff. And they get, when I got the job, they were saying, I'm so happy you're programming a Beethoven symphony next year. Like, next year. And I'm going, well, surely you play this all the time. He said, no, no, I play in the, I play in the band. We never play a symphonies. So that is great. You know, I say that because, it's, you know, so so for this orchestra, playing standard rep is not, is is kind of a good thing because it's not so standard rep. Yeah. But you also, we also do repeat. So I think it's important to, and I think they appreciate it on the whole. Half of them do, half of them don't. They come up to me many and say, Chris, I'm so glad you programmed these new pieces, you know, and because they get their teeth into something else. It's good for developing the orchestra, obviously in an artistic way even in a technical way, opens their ears to new things, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then half of them say, why can't we do a bloody Beethoven symphony again? <laughs> but no, I think, I think that mixture is important. You certainly shouldn't. And my predecessor, who I will not badmouth, however, did tend, his spectra, his diet, it was pretty restricted. And he did Prokofiev and Rachmaninoff all the time, I think. I think that's to be avoided. Yeah. You've got to mix it up a bit. Yeah. A good, good variety of everything yeah. yeah within the parameters you have absolutely and you know in your case well actually in my case too um the level of the orchestra obviously it's not a great idea to do a season of strauss tone poems if the orchestra can't play them i mean they're just going to be frustrated you're going to be frustrated no one wins yeah yeah so you've got to think of that too <laughs> i was just going to say actually you were talking about students you know i, I used to conduct I don't, as I say, do it anymore, but for a long period, long period of time, I was conducting like what Foster does now. Mm -hmm. um, and I gave that up because I was frustrated, mostly to do with the fact that you have so little control, well, you have no control on who's players, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and good or bad, they come and go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's very different from trying to build something artistically, professionally speaking which I always wanted to do. So there was that inherent frustration, which was never going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, that's not the only, I mean, there are all sorts of great things about teaching and educating students. Um, the other problem was that depending on the system and, and I guess the level of the school, well, actually, I'm not sure even the level, even, you know, Cleveland Institute of Music or one of the best 
uh, people playing at orchestra who don't want to play in an orchestra. Yeah. And, you know, a professional orchestra, they may want a better one or they may get bored or they may, you know, but they have decided to do this. You know? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So the, um, the, the ground, the, the, the starting post is very different, mm-hmm. mentally speaking, yeah. or philosophically even. Um, that was the, that's the one thing about the student thing, which was an inherent problem for me. Um, the good stuff is the never ending in a way, never ending of some of them, not all of them, of course, some of them check out (laughs) from the beginning as I'm kind of saying, but then the other end is the never ending, uh, inquisitiveness in a good sense and energy. (laughs) And sometimes you think it goes both ways. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes you never know with a student orchestra, because I still conduct, I mean, I used to conduct American Youth Philharmonic, which is a high school, but very good one. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going back probably next year to do a program. I did Rachmaninoff's second symphony with them. Yeah. This is a hard piece. It's a lot, yeah. On many levels hard. Mm-hmm. And we lost rehearsals because it was a bloody winter time and the snow. <laughs> and students don't turn up because they're ill or their mum lets, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I had to call some emergency rehearsals towards the end, which I hate you doing. But the performance was actually amazing. Good. Amazing. I mean, the fact that they could concentrate through a, almost an hour of music. I didn't take yeah. any cuts. That's another mm-hmm. question. You can put at some point. <laughs> cut or not to cut. Not saying you can't cut, but it depends. Yeah. And uh, I was just, and so that was really gratifying. It's very scary, though, conducting, now that I don't do it very often, conducting a student orchestra, because you really don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what's going to happen yeah like you it, it could be fine and in the performance a whole section might not come in yeah or, mm-hmm. or a solo player might <laughs> come in late a bar late or might come in and then skip up i mean anything can happen yeah <laughs> so yeah and, and told you all that. <laughs> yeah well and it's tough um because that that first rehearsal at the beginning of the year, you never know who's what the orchestra is yeah, going to be like. That. So, some we some people we've talked to say that's the easiest to program for. Some say it's the hardest. Right, it depends. It depends. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I don't, and maybe this, if you want to talk about, I don't know, things I think are the most important aspect of hopefully being successful as a conductor. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I think this applies to students and professionals alone. And and this is this business of being uh, patronizing or talking down to or not treating whoever is in front of you with a kind of basic respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's different. I mean, I, I think obviously I know that obviously we don't <laughs> no conductor anymore is dictatorial really in the same way as they were before. Yeah. But I still think some are in, in their heart of hearts equally dictatorial. And I think it's bad, you know, Mm-hmm. I think it's, and I say, you know, cause I do actually teach, we do a workshop, I do a workshop every year in Fargo, which I enjoy a lot for conductors. I like teaching on the workshop level rather than week in week out. So I'm trying yeah. to keep going in the teaching department. And, um, I guess I was like this too. I like to think I wasn't, but I bet I was. You see a conductor get out there and it doesn't matter how talented or untalented they are. There is something about their demeanor which is so easy can get the hackles up of me, let alone the players, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they can't help being young and inexperienced. I get that. And you can't, or, you know, you can't say I'm young and inexperienced and act like a baby. 
but there's this line of 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 sort of being decisive yet respectful mm-hmm. um uh, being totally honest. I mean, that actually is, I think, the most important thing of all, if you can. Yeah. We're all a bit self-conscious, of course, and <laughs> self-consciousness, in a sense, doesn't help honesty because if you start thinking of yourself, it's a problem. But but I do think it's crucial, actually. And I, I, I know in my case, in my humble career, uh, at least I do know that um, uh, being honest has only been helpful. I'm <laughs> sure of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of hard sometimes. And that means just, it doesn't mean obviously honest in mistakes, which by the way, you should be. Yeah. You make a mistake, own up to it because they know you made it. It's like, <laughs> duh. Yeah. It's amazing how many people don't. They try and cover it up. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not, and same thing is being, you know, not showing off. I don't mean showing off looking fancy. I mean, just showing off in sense of, I've got all this stuff to tell you because I know a lot, you know, mm-hmm. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need to know as much as you can and just be honest, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't conduct at an orchestra. That's another thing. I think this is more to do with being a music director. Um, you know, as a guest conductor, you come in for a one-time shot. If you're chosen as music director, I, mean, I feel this all the time, you, you feel so happy because you think they love you already. So what's the problem? <laughs> it depends, actually, how you've been chosen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably do love you actually yeah but you're then just starting and you know that well-worn cliche which has got some truth to it you're only as good as your last concert yeah and it is kind of true um so i think you know as a music director and i'm sure you would agree with this because you work with an orchestra um so much of the success of the music making is building a trust and I, I, it's taken me so long to learn this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> is is building a trust with the orchestra, and that it really translates into physical communication, almost especially well, physical and verbal. You know, I used to think with certain conductors who are very successful. You know, why are they not conducting more? I don't mean more. Why are they not expressing more? Blah blah blah. And I realize now they are expressing things they need to express, but there's a trust going on. So they're not sort of shouting at the orchestra. I think if you know an orchestra, well, don't shout yeah. at it desperately, right? I think it's important. I've only come around to that relative, relatively recently. Mm-hmm. It also smacks of weakness in a way and desperation if you're <laughs> trying to over- control too much. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of over conducting. Again, I don't mean size of gesture or anything like that, but I mean, yeah. I do mean actually shouting at the orchestra in a way. <laughs> yeah Uh, yeah yeah i don't i don't know if you could if you could describe so you you mentioned um you know in maybe an expressive thing letting letting the player go and and conducting less is there yeah um, i do have some thoughts on that actually yeah yeah so and i know some people disagree with this i'm not one so i'm I'm not saying conduct less physically i mean i might say it depends on but I, the, old, the older and more experienced I get, the physicality of the conducting really doesn't, really doesn't matter very much in mm-hmm. most circumstances. If a conductor doesn't show sound, and I don't know how you explain what showing sound is, but you know it when you do it or you see it. Yeah. If a conductor doesn't show sound quality in some way, I think that's a problem. But the basic physical style of different conductors 
doesn't matter at all. And yeah. why am I right? Because look at all these conductors who do <laughs> wonders. They all are different. You may yeah. not like Simon Rattle. You may not like uh, Pablo Yeri, say. But you can't deny that they're effective conductors. Mm-hmm. They look completely different. Or take any conductor. Karian yeah. mm-hmm. Abado, anyone. This is, I don't mind saying this online because it's not a personal thing, but I've never understood my predecessor at the Hart School, who I've only met once years ago now, Harold Farberman. I'm sure you've heard of him. Maybe. Yeah, we, we spent a couple of weeks with Harold. See, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. This is to me is the absolute opposite of what I understand about teaching. Conducting. Assuming I'm right about this, which is that he teaches the physicality of it to a T. Mm-hmm. This to me is the opposite of what I think it's about. And I also think it brings uh, into it a sort of self-consciousness, which also goes against communication. So one thing I do say when I do my little workshop up in Fargo, uh, and I bang on about this, is don't ever conduct in front of a mirror because immediately you look in a mirror, you're not communicating with anyone but your self-conscious self. You are doing the opposite of actually what you need to do. I get checking things, checking clarity, although if you wanted to do that with a group and be honest, is that clear? They say no and then try it again. But anyway, you could check, you know, if you go one, if you're, which mine is, I think, and I think I go, sometimes the second beat and the third beat get mixed up. Maybe you have to kind of take a minute or two to see what it looks like to them via the mirror. Mm-hmm. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this conducting in front of a mirror. Yeah. Terrible idea. It seems to be the worst thing you could possibly do. And I think that's tied up with what I mean about conducting gestures and technique being something to do with how it looks. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it is. I, I, I think that um, maybe I've got off topic. I can't quite remember your, what you were asking of me. Um, You're talking about but anyway, the older I get, you know, there's certain conductor stars I've always been beguiled by. Sage Ozawa is one of them, like he is for many. Abado is another one. They're very mm-hmm. different. Yeah. But it's not really how they look as much as what they're conveying and how it's successful it is. Abado particularly, because yeah. Ozawa's performances aren't always. But yeah. And you've got you've got to learn the basics, right? Oh, yeah. You've got to be able to keep an, <laughs> help keep an orchestra together and help with new things. But that's sort of it. Yeah. My opinion. But you asked, did I answer the question? Because you asked. I don't quite. We were talking about honesty and building trust with the orchestra. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So so the trust thing. So I know what I was going to say. I'm not a fan. And I know I'm. some people don't agree with this. I get the idea that you don't, of course, overconduct the orchestra and that you don't have to micromanage, as you say. And the better the orchestra, why bash them over the head? Of course. Mm-hmm. That's not the, but sometimes you see these conductors who stop conducting completely. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're doing it to show off, although some of them might be. They're doing it probably for the noblest of reasons mm-hmm. to get out of the way. And certainly it helps the players even more and more hear, listen to each other and hear, which is the yeah. way to I get that. But it also does something, I think stopping conducting negates actually one of your principal purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is to be the transmitter of the overall of the piece and especially the kind of underlying energy of the piece. Mm-hmm. Why I think you can almost stop, if you see what I mean. I, I think getting out of the picture is what I'm talking about, not stopping, okay. that's a better phrase. Some conductors, you know, kind of advertise they don't need me and they put their hands down, right? And all the energy goes. And you mm-hmm. are the conductor in the physical sense, right? A lot of yeah. this goes through you. 
if you do that, you're kind of cheating the music. Yeah. Do okay. you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, it's like, and when I yeah. see it, I feel it. When I see it, the conductor suddenly does this, and all the energy goes. It's not, again, it's not a question of size of movement. Mm -hmm. It's a question of walking away. Yeah. You know, you're kind of walking away from your job. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I find that weird and I don't get it. I don't mm -hmm. know why conductors do it. Yeah. Because of course, the, one of the huge parts is the pacing flow yeah. of the music from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I think it's the biggest part of the job. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a subtle difference between, because what I, what I like a lot, um, at least, at least visually um, that I've seen is when the beat, maybe the beat drops, but the leadership remains. Which is which is sort of a different thing, like in a lyrical section where there's just shaping, but there's not. Oh, fine, yeah, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, right. yeah. But they, but they're not going away, right? Yeah, no, no, they're it's. Yeah. Uh, whatever's there is still there. Yeah. yeah. No, I I completely agree. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is undoubtedly true that the the less you shout at them, the more they can hear each other. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Many times, I think it's hard for us to conduct very small. Often, I have to say, especially when yes. one's excited. You know, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk. Um, let's touch on uh, score study a bit, if we can. Um, yeah. You know, we love we love to hear how because everybody's different. Everybody's kind of yeah, developed their right. own way. Um, could you kind of walk us through starting a new score for you? Yeah. So, well, things have changed a bit over the years. Um, I, maybe they haven't when it comes to a brand new score. Things have changed in terms of when I go back to pieces. But we're, we're very I used interested to, in, that, in that. Yeah, I, I used to be, when I taught, so I was at CCM, you know, Cincinnati Conservatory Music from 93 to 99, then the Hart School from 99 to 2010. Okay. As a conducting, conducting, well, in the case of CCM, the second orchestra, in the case of Hart School, the orchestra, yeah. and professor of conducting, okay. orchestral conducting. So my, my main um, interests in that were the actual teaching part were, was actually ear training stuff and, and you know, um, some score reading and all that crap. And not so much interpreting score, but actually how to analyze the score. Okay. And I, I had, and I guess I still have, and I still stick by it, but I don't, I don't use it myself so much. I have a system, I had a system where I would, it looks like a genie. So I, okay, sorry. <laughs> I go from the big to the small. Okay. That's my way. Mm -hmm. Schulte, apparently, you know this, right? Schulte, apparently, George Schulte would learn the score kind of note by note. He'd take the flute part. Yeah, I've heard that. Like this. How do you do that? Especially <laughs> a pianist and who understands harmony, like I'm sure he did. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. Anyway, so I go, and apparently Shostakovich, sorry, used to write a bit like Mozart. He would, not everything, but I think when he was inspired to do so, maybe later in his life, he would write the piece from his head into the score that way. Hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, that way. Just one line at a time? Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Oh well, that's what I've heard. It may be a pop fire. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I go from the big to the small, and I, I kind of used to draw a diagram. So it would be... You know, like a genealogical tree, you've got, <laughs> what's your last name? Cuevas? Cuevas, yeah. Yeah. So you've got 
Cuevas family here, right? And then you've got great, great grandfather. Then it goes all the way down to you, right? Yeah. I would have exposition at the top. And then I'd have first thematic material, one line down, second thematic material. And then under that, I'd have bars, so-and-so to so-and-so. And underneath that, all the way down to maybe a harmonic analysis. Okay. So you could go from the big to the small. You could just see it, the picture. Yeah. That would be exhibition, line development, line recapitulation, coda, if that's what it is. Yeah. So really from the big, you know, from the big picture way down to the small picture. I don't actually do that. I don't write that down anymore. Because I do it quicker now, I guess through laziness and more experience. I don't know, <laughs> um, but I, I would teach teach it that way personally, going from the big to the small. It's about as simple as that. And then, and sort of every aspect. So, the big really is okay. Figure, assuming it fits into well, you shouldn't ever fit something into a box. I shouldn't say that, but assuming it's a let's say a piece which actually has repeated patterns anyway let's say you have the exposition development recap that you figure those out first, you know, yeah. then you, then you go, then you put a little magnifying glass on the exposition and go, go that way. Mm-hmm. And so I would do that first and then the next probably, so down to harmonic analysis, big and then even smaller to maybe bar by bar by bar. If it makes sense. I mean, if mm-hmm. it's all contrapuntal, it's not really harmonic analysis, is it? Um, and then um, articulation and breathing. And finally, if I'm going to do it, which I don't do so much anymore, and we could talk about this if you want, uh, uh, Boeings and things like that. Yeah. And uh, all these levels of articulation, uh, breathing, Boeings is also phrasing, you know, really marking off how the phrases work. Mm-hmm. Um, so big to the small. Yeah. And then what I, what I usually hear is big, small, and then back to big. Do you return to the overall view near the, near the end as you're, you know, I don't know, coming up to the rehearsals or something? Um, so, uh, so, well, okay. So this is, uh, what do I do? Uh, I'll tell you what I learned from my, by the way, best mentor of all. I hope you've heard of him, David Hoos, the conductor. No, I haven't. Uh, this is typical, isn't it? The best people aren't well known. <laughs> how, do, how do you spell Try and get him on your show. You might find it difficult. David Hoos, H-O-O-S-E. He mm. used to be the conductor of the Boston University, BU University, Boston University, right? Okay. Uh, orchestra, and he conducts right now. He's retired now from that. He conducts... Cantata singers in Boston and the collage in, in Boston. He's the most amazing guy. Taught me far more than I know. Notice you n- notice I've been with Lazar and Schuler, but that was just for a brief period of time. This guy really taught me a lot. Okay. And he told me this one thing, which I like. He said, and it was when we were actually co-conducting a workshop. So I wasn't a student mm-hmm. that, you know, once you think, you know, the piece, take a section of it. Um, and just read the piece from beginning to end, sitting on your hands, not not twitching a muscle. Very important. Not this stuff, you know. And it really, it's amazingly hard to do, actually. Because mm-hmm. even if you think you know it rhythmically and have a good sense of pulse, try don't move. Just sit there and go through it in real time and try and... And with all the breathing, and it, I, this is when you think you know the piece and you think you know how you want it to go. 
with the breathing you have in mind, the sound quality, the color, without stopping. Quite interesting. So that is something I, I, I think I'd like to do more than I do now before the rehearsals. But basically what I'm trying to think of coming out to rehearsals is how most effectively to rehearse this orchestra given three rehearsals given four plus rehearsals, <laughs> not thinking so much about my own preparation. Um, but I need to be in a position where I feel confident about my own preparation. Yeah. Yeah, of course. If, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And you can always, you know, always trying to learn more, but I make sure that I go to first rehearsal prepared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, score. So that's kind of the score study is for me, probably like many people mm -hmm. you talk to. And do you, do you, you mentioned Boeing. Do you, uh, Ah, so I, I play the, I mean, I'm not very good anymore, but I love the violin. Yeah. Uh, so I know how to do Boeings, but actually I don't do them very often. Okay. A full set of Boeings. I do have over the years, actually, principally because of my school jobs, I yeah. tended to do the Boeings. But with Fairfax Orchestra, you know, they've got a set of Boeings. Mm -hmm. I completely trust my concert masters, both Fairfax and Fargo. Yeah. Uh, so what I do is I, only if there's something in the score which I feel is going to maybe need something which they wouldn't expect. Because after all, it's not, yeah. this, isn't a, a, this is not meant to be a lazy way out. <laughs> you should be able to bow something almost any way to achieve the same results. Sometimes it's a bit weirder than others. Mm -hmm. um, but, and usually a violinist will choose probably the most convenient way, which is not always, always right, but mostly right. Why not? Especially on limited rehearsal. Yeah. If you talk to Ken Woods, I think you do. Have you talked to Ken Woods yet? Kenneth Woods. You've got to get him on your show. He's we've, great. Look him up. Yeah, we've been talking. We've been talking with yeah. him about. I mean, he may, I, I bet, and say hi to him for me when you do, because yeah, yeah. he probably completely disagrees with this. I'm not saying choose the easiest Boeing as a matter of course, but given the rehearsal schedule, I would go with the players, bow, the, the concert masters Boeing, who I trust and only interfere if there's a, a real musical point I want to make, which I think will probably necess necessitate a different bowing. You know? yeah. A lot of bowings, by the way, are to do with the speed of the music. I've learned this. Yes. You know, my concert master says, okay, Chris, is this actually the speed you're going to go? Because if it is, I need to change the bowings mm -hmm. just for, you know, length of, yeah. you know, which is so, yeah. Can, but I, I tend to rely on, mm -hmm. As I do with breathings in the winds, I mean, I'll, th I'll think of places, if it isn't obvious, or I want a group breathing because of a phrasing, that's a different matter. Yeah. Uh, make sure that that lines up. And, you know, when there is, obviously make it clear to the players if the whole section is supposed to breathe at different places so there's not supposed to, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, staggered. Thank you, staggered breathing. And they usually, especially Fairfax, I never have a problem. They just sort it out themselves. Which yeah. is, and it sounds fine. I don't need mm -hmm. to mess with it, usually. Intonation's an interesting thing. Yeah. I have a word of advice on that, if you're interested. Yeah, definitely. And talk to David Hooser, because I'm sure he, and I'm sure Ken does as well. I mean, all these kinds of things. So from my experience and from what I've seen of others, and this may come, I don't know if you guys have magic ears or not, for those of us who have average ears, this is, well, in terms of pitch, that is, or in terms of tuning, fine tuning, mm -hmm. this may come as a relief. And I think, but I think this is very true because I actually tried the opposite. So 
the it's in, I think it's important to understand how to tune a chord if you need to tune one. And maybe mm-hmm. there are different ways of doing it, but there's kind of a basic way you probably know. Start at the bottom. Yeah, start at the bottom. And, and I think it's important also to have the guts to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and also not to let it go by. And most importantly, don't let stuff go by. Even if you don't stop and tune it ruthlessly and rigorously yourself, don't let it go by before you stop and let them know that you know mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. what i'm saying this is kind of important yeah but the good news is if you stop with a good orchestra i think with a bad orchestra it's tougher and yeah. uh, and good luck in a way depending on but with a with a reasonable to good professional orchestra or let's say a professional orchestra if you stop and mess with it two things i think tend to happen um one is at the very best, you might fix a chord, right? Mm-hmm. And then you fixed, you know, one moment in time. You haven't really addressed anything. I mean, it goes by this way, right? So you might have fixed one static moment. What has that done to improve things other than to let them know you're not letting them get away with playing out of tune? It yeah. hasn't really fixed anything. Yeah. It's fixed one thing for a second, right? Mm-hmm. Far, far more significant, I think, is that you've suddenly dug into the political weeds of hierarchy, <laughs> egos. I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of you've opened a hornet's nest. I'm not suggesting that a hornet's nest should always be completely covered up and not dealt with. But there are it's better to have them deal with the, the, the nest than you yeah. outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've actually seen this in action where. You know, people have amazingly stopped and gone. It is quite impressive. You know, okay, we'll take a second bassoon play on note. Let's have this chord. You know, you've heard this. Second yeah. over, slightly sharp. Even they've, I don't know if they said two cents, but, you know, often fiddled with it and not quite fixed it. More often not fiddled with it, it's no better. Mm-hmm. But what happens is you then, as I say, you, you create this sort of insecurity Mm-hmm. The hierarchy and maybe open up something where you know they start saying well they turn to the neighbor and say okay get the tuning for uh, get the the, the the tuner out and then the second clarinet is always supposed to be low in this orchestra and you just open something up yeah. which you can't really fix much better to draw attention to it mm-hmm. and ask them to fix it yeah. rather than actually been maybe occasionally delve in but on a routine basis so that's my my first thought on on really getting involved in it. The second thing, which is which is part of the tune process, is that I don't think it, bad intonation is necessary to do with being out of tune. It's to do with being out of balance. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know this to be true because I've fixed it that way sometimes, much to my relief. And and an obvious example, but just to give an example, is when a major third or or a minor third doesn't really matter. Let's take a minor third, because they usually sound worse than major thirds. <laughs> um, you know when you you ask them and, and you you try and tune this third and it just never gets in tune. Mm-hmm. You know this feeling, I'm sure yeah. you do. And then they get the tuner out, and then and then you have this business I just talked about, which is helping no one. And then in the end, nothing gets better; it only gets worse. Mm-hmm. Make sure the third of the chord, in this case the minor third, is played softer. Yeah. It's amazing. 
if you, if the root is louder than the, just something as simple as that, and it suddenly it sort of slots into place. And if you conduct in a way which kind of expresses sound in your con and you're sensitive to sound quality and acoustics and resonance and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, you will find the orchestra will sound much more in tune and certainly more in tune than if you're one of these guys who picks mm-hmm. and just wants this note to be in tune exactly in relationship to that note without any attention paid to sonority and resonance. Yeah. Honestly true, I think. Mm-hmm. That's my sermon for the day. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah, I remember seeing a video of, maybe you've seen it, it was a, actually it's an old, old um, DVD I have of Boulez apparently fixing a chord. Mm-hmm. And it was a Berlin Philharmonic or some Vienna or something. And they go, yes, my service. And I swear there's no difference. And they just go on. Maybe the difference. <laughs> I'm not sure it's good, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it's achieving other than a bit of a power play. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you talked with Foster about this? Cause he had, he had very similar advice. Uh, I have. I think uh, the one thing I, I've talked to Foster about is, um, I remember him mentioning that, yes, in this respect, I have. Um, who's their conductor now? You know, what's his name? The fin- Osmo Vanska. Yeah. Uh, his predecessor was A.G. Uri. Maybe he talks about this. A.G. Uri apparently would not mess with intonation. Mm-hmm. And Vanska messes with it. He's a clarinetist and he's always digging in, he said. And they sound far more out of tune now than they did with A.G. Uri. That yeah. Much I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what we agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and that, that's also going back to trust that, you know, they're musicians. They should. Right. They, they know right. if it's attitude very often they know that it is. Yeah. And so, and not letting it go too often. I mean, that's. Yeah. And letting them know that, you know, and I think the same with actually with, with playing together, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the trust thing helps, and so the gesture thing helps in that respect. I mean, you can't sort of – you have to do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just trust, 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 and nothing gets better. But, yeah, that's right. Absolutely right. Trust mm-hmm. is crucial. Yeah. And so you um, you mentioned one of your hidden gems earlier, the uh, the Sibelius. Could you could you talk about some of the others? Yeah, so I, I was looking at that question of yours, and I, I have to say um, I'm sure some of your, your interviewees – could come up with a very interesting list. I, having said, I love new music and I try to program as much as I can mm-hmm. with all the parameters and the frustrations I talked about out of the box. I'm not a, I don't know these, you know, I don't know the hidden companies <laughs> of Hindemith's grandson or whatever it may be. I mean, I, so what, what I, but there are pieces by major composers who aren't played some, which aren't played so much, mm-hmm. which I think are really good. Yeah. Um, but maybe you think these, these are well-known pieces, perhaps. Um, so, and they're composers I've grown to like more and more. So Elgar, believe it or not, I've never liked that much until about the last 15, 20 years, the English composer. Um, and I love his music now more and more. Um, and there's a piece which isn't done very well, and we've heard of it called In the done very often, In the South. Do you know this? It's a big no. term. Sounds a bit like Richard Strauss, written around the same time. It's called In the South. This is a great work. I did it last year with um, 
Fargo, actually. It's kind of hard, but not quite as hard as it sounds, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, a beautiful piece. Um, there's certain pieces, you know, the sort of slightly forgotten brother, which I think is as good as the big brother. Rachmaninoff's third symphony versus second. Mm-hmm. That's a great piece. I think easily as good as the second. I mean, different. Um, uh, do you know Shostakovich's second cello concerto? This is a no. far better than the first. This is really, <laughs> this is really a so I'm glad I brought that one up because it's such a piece, and you know you shook your head. So yeah, no, yeah, I just um, I just know the the more famous one, yeah. whichever one that is. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned earlier that uh, Shostakovich was a composer that you admired a little less now. Uh, than you used to. Why is that? Yeah, uh, thanks. So this might be part of my relationship with David Hoos, who is, I think is, he talks about music in such a aesthetic, sort of untechnical way, which is inspiring to me. Um, I do love his music, but I feel uh, that it, it's there's a sameness to it, which is deliberate, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. The banging your head against the brick wall is clearly a deliberate statement. <laughs> But I do think, I mean, please get me. I do think he's one of the great, he's a great composer. Um, but I get weary sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes think there's a lack of imagination at times. And a kind of, and sometimes the size of the thing is too much for me. And I never used to think that. So the seventh, for instance, I like parts of it. I'm not sure the whole thing works. Mm-hmm. the eighth even the eighth which i as a kid i used to love it because it's so like oh my god i'm going to kill myself you know i'm feeling all this terrible stuff but, oh my god i'm living life you know mm-hmm. a bit tedious now you know it's like he overdoes it overdoes it um i'll tell you two which do you know them since we talk about the the hidden stuff yeah, you may know them the 15th the last one he wrote I, I know the first movement. That's the one where he, where he quotes the William Tell. Yeah, this is yeah. a fascinating piece, actually. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think, the not the first movement, actually. The other, okay. all of it. Uh, and it's really enigmatic. And that in itself is worth a lot, yeah. I think. It's the opposite of bombastic. Mm-hmm. Can be. Um, the, fifth, uh, the 14th Symphony also... Yeah, it is so bleak, but it's yeah. really. But I do think I mean when I was saying to you, you know, I said a lack, of, a sort of a lack of imagination. There's no lack of imagination in those last two symphonies at all. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think the Britain Violin Concerto is one of the greatest violin concertos and is not played that often. Yeah, and for some reason isn't at the top of his oeuvre. Do you know that piece at all? Yeah, yeah, I know it. Oh, you do? Okay. But you know it's really not up in the pantheon. Yeah, it's just... And it, and it should be, I think. I only, I only know it from, from CDs. Um, right. You know. um, I did Nielsen 4 this season, which I love, and Nielsen 5 I really love. I guess they're pretty well known, but not right up. Um, Martinu, Sixth Symphony is a really good piece. I don't know the symphonies, no. Actually, one of my one of my favorite pieces, and one of the pieces I hate more than any other piece ever written by anyone, is by Martinu. Okay. I had to start it three years ago. It's called uh, Rhapsody Symphonique. It is awful. 
<laughs> but the Sixth Symphony is really good. And there's a piece of Desert Island Disco I have. It's not for orchestra, for unaccompanied, no, not unaccompanied, uh, choir and organ or piano, it could be, by Brahms called Spiritual Song. Do you know this piece? Geistliches Lied. No. When we're done, go. it's only eight minutes long. It's the best. Okay. <laughs> the tiny little piece. I think it's Opus 15 by Brahms. Geistliches Lied. It's, a piece, it's based on a canon. It's ridiculous. Talk about a piece which is actually based on a, a really a, um, a technical conceit, and yet it's so beautiful. It's a canon at the ninth. Can you believe this? <laughs> I think throughout. Maybe wow. the coda is not the same. I'm not sure. It is absolutely gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interested in the Shostakovich and the Martineau. I don't know. I don't know Martineau's stuff very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I think his music's really, as I've explained, really varied. Yeah, yeah. But the Sixth Symphony, he wrote six. It's his last one. It's it's a really good piece. Mm-hmm. Really good piece. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've done Shostakovich one actually. Great one, piece, one, no? One of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, I th- I think it's amazing too. I hard piano yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. The first <laughs> movement is my least favorite movement of that. I love the sl- the slow movement. Is yeah, fantastic, and the and the and the last movement with that with that timpani thing, mm-hmm. and the solo cello and the and the cello voicing. Mm-hmm. It's just. I mean, what was he? Nineteen. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was very young. Yeah, very young. Yeah, because he wrote it when he was still in school. Yeah, it was his graduation. Yeah. Glazunov or something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? That's another cool piece, actually. Prokofiev, uh, last piano concerto, the, f- the fifth one. Oh, okay. This is a weird piece and yeah. kind of interesting. You can check that one out. So is there a composer that you used to not particularly care for that over the years you've grown fond of? Yeah, Elgar's one. Oh, yeah. Actually, a lot of these English composers I like more and more. Uh, Walton's another one. Uh, no, no, uh, Walton I've always kind of liked. Uh, Vaughan Williams is another one. I did his Fifth Symphony for the first time three years ago. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely beautiful, I think. I used to poo-poo this stuff. I don't know why. I don't think it's because I'm English. It should be the opposite, right? But <laughs> <laughs> there is a – I used to kind of – equate them all as sort of pastoral fluff which they're not at all okay i mean i never thought i never thought this particular piece was it's one of the greatest pieces i've done it millions of times i suggest you do it if you have a good string section elgar allegro and introduction introduction allegro of strings i was just looking at it that a is, days ago talk about a red-blooded yeah. piece that is really mm-hmm. really great work i mean nothing to do with england's green and pleasant land at all <laughs> But Nora, his symphonies, actually, they are really great. I mean, he's a master. The trouble is, you know, we all, this may be, it's a good thing to air these hidden gems because we, there's a reason the, the famous pieces are famous. I'm not knocking them. They do swallow up airtime for other pieces. I, Enigma, Enigma Variations is a great piece. But In the South is just as good and the symphonies are better. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm doing Enigma this coming year, actually. On my first class, did you look at my first program? Again, unashamed. In with, with which orchestra? Uh, Fairfax. We're doing Downton Abbey music. That's right. Yeah, I saw that. I like that. And and Lark Ascending is not really connected. That's right. That's right yeah. Kind of. So this and um, 
and I wanted to do I wanted to kind of do in the south, but I was persuaded for. Well, I tell you how I was persuaded. <laughs> we didn't have the budget for it, and Enigma was in is in our library. We saved a thousand dollars. I, you know, isn't that awful? But and also Enigma was much better known, so the board was happy. But yeah. you know, I didn't really want to do Enigma again. Yeah. There's so many, and I haven't done the. A warning if you don't know them. The, these pieces are very hard. The the both Elgar wrote two well he didn't finish a third, but he wrote two symphonies, as you probably know. Mm. They're both brutally hard, especially the second. And Walton too. Both Walton are really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the trouble. Yeah, I know I know the facade pretty well. But none of the well, none I of don't the know that very well, other than my wife had to do the speaking role. Oh yeah. And she said it was murderously complicated. Crazy hard for the, for the vocalist, yeah. Because it's yeah. not really, it's not, because yeah, it's a, it's a speaking role. It's not a... But you have to follow, the, be yeah. right in time. And I mean, she reads music and she, but she's not a professional musician. She found it very hard. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's all patter. It's so fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's Belshazzar's Feast? That's a great Oh, piece. yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. It's a good yeah, piece. We, yeah. we did that in my undergrad. Right. I've got the vocal score here somewhere. Yeah. It's kind of hard. It's divided yeah. in often eight, nine parts. And... Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, thanks so much for talking with us. We've got, we've got one more question. Um, and that's our, that's the billboard, which was on your, on that list. Also, if you could, um, if you could send one message or one piece of advice out to, uh, out to all our listeners, um, what, what would you put on that billboard that, that they, that they see every day? As conductors, yeah. to be, it's impossible not to be with human. We're self-conscious to a certain extent, but to be as honest as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah. Prepare as best you can, but then just be honest. And I know it's kind of a boring thing to say. <laughs> that's what I would say. <laughs> well. Perfect. I don't think it's boring at all. I think, you know, it brings, it, it calls back to a lot of the things we talked about. Um, but yeah, yeah, again, thanks so much for your time. This is a, it's a pleasure. This is a great chat and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely say hi to, uh, to Ken for you. And yeah, if you get Ken and please try and get David, say I recommended it. Yes. Yeah. It'll yeah, be, I'm, it'll, I'm be complete, it'll be on a different level. Believe me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And if there, if there's anyone else you think we should reach out to, um, well, Ken and David are a good start. Yeah. I mean, they're also very different from each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm happy to. I'm, uh, but those two obvious to me. Yeah, perfect. Great. Awesome. Okay, guys. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podium Time. You can find this one and all of our other ones at podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podiumtimepod. Mendelssohn's Italian was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati.